This is Emergency Medicine Match Advice, sponsored by Academic Life and Emergency Medicine, a podcast series designed to help medical students and residents strategically navigate the process of applying for residency in emergency medicine or to EM-sponsored fellowship programs. I'm your host, Mike Gisandi from Stanford University. Let's get started. Welcome to Emergency Medicine Match Advice, sponsored by your friends at Academic Life and Emergency Medicine. And it's editor-in-chief, the greatest American medical educator, Dr. Michelle Lin from the University of California. Hello, Michelle. Hello, hello. I'm greeting you from the smoky lands of California today. You know, I was listening to the Greatest American Hero theme song this morning, and I, I decided that you're the greatest American medical educator. Oh, I love that show, by the you're way. You're my hero. So good. All right. So listen, today's episode, Michelle, is a very special and a timely one, preparing for virtual residency interviews. And to offer their sage advice on interviewing in our new virtual world, we have three outstanding program directors. Dr. David Caro from the University of Florida, Jacksonville. Hi, Dave. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Good. Thanks for being here. Dr. Erica Shaver from West Virginia University. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Hi, the Mountaineers are represented. And Dr. Cedric Lefebvre from Wake Forest University. Hello. Happy to be here. All right. Thanks for joining us. Now, COVID changed everything in our daily lives. Now the pandemic will fundamentally change the residency application process, too. It's a process that's so ingrained in the annual experiences of program directors and medical school deans that change is nearly impossible to imagine. The change is coming. Today's panel will discuss what that change will look like, what preparations they've made for the upcoming interview season, and importantly, they'll make some predictions about how the virtual recruitment and selection process will play itself out this year. So let's get right into it with our first panelist, Dr. Caro from University of Florida. And Dave, I'm just going to throw you the easiest lob ball question of them all. How will the 2021 match recruitment cycle change because of COVID? Okay, Mike. So I, I had to go research a little bit getting ready for this question because I wanted to make sure I had the dates right. But I think in general, uh, you can see things back up a little bit, uh, maybe a week later than they typically would have. The good news is the start time and the end time of the whole ARIS match process is essentially the same. We started on September 1st when applications could get started to get uploaded. It ends match week, March 15th through 18th. And that's almost exactly the same as the timing of last year. The difference this year, we're going to have a little bit later medical student performance exams that get uploaded onto ARIS. And so that's going to delay a little bit of what we can do on the, the same token Students are only allowed to have one slow from their home program. There are going to be some students that might have some more, but in general, everybody's going to only have one. And so it changes a little bit of what we're able to look at. So that, that Dean's letter getting dropped a little bit later pushes back our ability to take a look at the entire application a little bit later. Uh, I think you'll find that you might have some, some residencies that might have a little bit of a delay in getting out in invitations to interview. Um, and we might see as opposed to November 1st, where we, we tend to have a lot of us have our inter interview invites out. It might be the first week or end of first week of November before that actually happens. Um, so it, I think you'll see a little bit of a delay in those things. It's going to be a little bit minor as far as the match cycle itself. Yeah, I don't know the students really appreciate how residency leadership, you know, a small group of individuals function like a full admissions office for an undergraduate college, right? I mean, they just they have tons of applications in ratio to the number of spots they're trying to fill. 
And, you know, they get their process down every year. They get really good at it. And this just throws a wrench in that process. And I think patience is going to be a key for many of the students who are, you know, really anticipating lots and lots of interview offers. You know, they just may be a little bit delayed this year. I think that's a really important message. So, you know, I, I think the other big change is that students don't have to fly around the country. So now they have a lot more opportunity to interview at all of our programs. So how do you think they should approach application numbers and interview numbers? Okay, so I want to go back to data that was collected a couple of years ago that I think all of the program directors would, would point to as really good data for how, how many interviews you need to go on to actually match to an EM program, right? And so if you look at uh, some of the actual literature that was published, uh, there are the magic number, so to speak, of getting into an EM residency program. If you went into 12 interviews and got 12 interviews, you actually had a very high, high 90s percentage rate of matching in your top three uh, residency uh, positions. So from that standpoint, we still would recommend you you might want to apply if you're a, a student that's got really good grades and you've done very well in medical school, you're going to probably send out 20 to 30 applications to get to that 10 to 12. That might change um, if you have uh, some scars on your record or you've got some things that you didn't do as well in school, those kind of things, you might need to send out more. But I don't think we need to have every uh, medical student have to send out over 50 to feel like they have to get the requisite number of interviews. I still think that that, that advice that we've given before is going to probably be okay. If you send out 20 to 30 um, and you're a good student, you're going to probably fall in a good spot. This, you know, this is really hard for me. Uh, you know, th- this week I had two different couples who will be couples matching ask for advice on how many programs to apply to and where to apply. And I even found myself saying, well, I guess it's a little different this year and that you don't have to fly to that city. So maybe you can, maybe you can just hit all the programs in that city. And then I had to stop myself and, uh, you know, and shame myself in front of them and say, don't do that. You know, you, you really should, uh, you should respect the asymptote, right, of the graph from the on RNP and, and really going above 12 is unnecessary, but it is a lot easier, right? So, so what's your prediction? Do you think students are going to over-interview? I mean, my prediction would be yes. I think that we'll probably see higher numbers of applications per resident or for per student application. But I think, you know, the same token, I do feel most uh, residencies will increase their residency um, application spots as well. Um, I, I can imagine, you know, just thinking what we're doing in Jacks, we typically will interview 150 to 180 a year. We'll probably go over 200 this year. Just to keep that in mind. And, you know, we still have Uh, A lot of other things that we pull together, we still look through the entire application. We still look through all the other data that comes in. Uh, So we're going to try and be relatively selective with who we want to have uh, come to interview. But same token, we will bump our numbers up probably a little bit as well, assuming that that's going to happen. I can't blame folks because we don't know and they don't know. And they're a little bit nervous. And I can imagine that's going to push them and their advisors to say, "Go, go higher than lower just to be safe. I'm really glad you you uh, gave us that insight. You you read my mind. That was going to be my question. Would you know? Would you uh, reflexively over over uh, invite folks to interview? And I think you know, my guess is that's probably what's going to happen all over the country, right? You're you're dealing with students who may over interview. We're telling you not to do that, students who are listening. But 
But, you know, natural uh, tendency may be to do that just one or two or three. And then now you've got a bunch of students who now interviewed a bunch of extra programs. Therefore, are you sure they're all interested in, in Jacksonville? Are you sure? So you have to over-interview them. You can see where this becomes a really vicious cycle. So, you know, I hope the students will abide by previous uh, expectations, but I, I recognize this is just a difficult year and, and it's hard to predict. Uh, maybe we can close. I, I just want to hear some other behind the curtain goings on at Jacksonville. What else will be different about your interview season process this year? Uh, I think the the biggest we're trying to figure out again how to interview on Zoom, and we had talked about this before we got started with with our interview day uh, discussion here. Um, but you know, I think the move to Zoom takes a little bit of that personal feel away. So we're trying to figure out different ways that we can actually reach the student and get a little bit more insight into them by looking at their application. Um, and we've toyed around with some other uh, some other ideas, uh, especially those that meet criteria if we're going to bring, we might actually ask them to, to actually answer questions before they get here. And we might actually do a kind of questionnaire and fill these out for us so that we don't have to spend the time wasting that we always ask of every student so that we can get to you and get to a little bit more of your personality and kind of feel you out a little bit more and you can feel us out a little bit more. Uh, the other big change that we've made, obviously, and I'm sure that everybody else has gone to this as well, is more online presence. And we're doing more virtual um, tours and we're doing weekly get together with students and, and allowing them to get some education along with a little bit of Q&A time with program directors and APDs and the like. So we've had a couple different things that we've done. A lot of it is moving virtual and trying to make sure that we reach people where they're able to get to us and they can ask us questions and get to know us a little bit better at the same time. Yeah, there are some unexpected positives that have come out of this process. I actually have really enjoyed um, watching everybody up their social media game and the, the video uh, tours of all these different programs. I've been watching them. I'm learning a lot about the programs. I mean, I, you know, I don't know if you participated in the SAM residency fair, which was online. I, you know, I don't know that residency fairs are all that useful on the program side, but they were so much more rich this year, uh, having interactions with students in, in these breakout rooms uh, felt very different than sort of the casual walker by at the table at, at an old residency uh, fair. So, you know, I, I think there are some positives to be taken away. Um, students, you know, I, I hear Dr. Caro talk about um, sending some questions ahead of time. It feels like a secondary right? From how, how scary is that when you applied to uh, medical school, you had to fill out all those secondaries. It's not really the same thing, right? Faculty who particularly go, who go on airport style interviews often get their questions ahead of time uh, so that they can have some things prepared. And I think that's a window to your future when you're applying for academic jobs. All right. So talking about the interview process is a great segue, Dr. Kara, to our, our next esteemed panelist, Dr. Erica Shaver from West Virginia. Um, I really want to understand how virtual interviews are different from in-person interviews. Sure, Mike. So I think the, the obvious thing about virtual interviews is that we're not physically in the same location, right? We're not physically in the same town. We're not physically in the hospital together um, or even in the room where we're conducting the interview. So it promotes this kind of false sense of actually being together like we would typically do an interview. Um, normally, applicants would come to our town. They would come the night before. They would have some time to check out the hospital, meet up with the residents, even spend some time doing outdoor activities, which a lot of people love to do when they're in West Virginia. Um, checking out some of the restaurants in the town. And that's obviously not able to happen um, in a virtual area, which is, I think, what makes programs um, a little bit nervous because a lot of what's really important to us is more easily seen than told about at times. And I think it also makes the applicants um, rightfully anxious and that they're not going to be able to check that stuff out in person like they would normally do. Um, but I think what I tell all my students is that we're all in this together, right? We're all experiencing these new anxieties and these new changes together, and we're going to get through it together. And I think our interest as programs definitely 
ultimately lies in conveying as much of that information as possible in virtual era, having as much FaceTime or Zoom time, if you will, with our applicants, um, with our faculty and with our residents and, um, you know, just getting as much contact even in the virtual world as we can, despite the fact of the limitations that we have doing things in person. So, you know, I, I feel badly for the students. I, I am sure that this is probably their first time interviewing for a job for many of them. And now they have to do it while facing a computer and um, not having just the natural human cues of sitting across from someone and reading body language and, you know, the things that make you comfortable when you're meeting a new uh, individual. So, you know, what, what tips or tricks do you have for students? How should they prepare for these virtual interviews? As I said earlier, take a deep breath and plan to have fun with this process, right? I think everyone enjoys fourth year of medical school because it's a little like any other year that you've had so far and probably um, the best year that you will have going forward in your career in terms of scheduling and flexibility and really cool opportunities to check out different programs all across the country and meet great people. And I think that is still as ever uh, present and available as it ever was. So take a deep breath and get ready to enjoy the ride, I would say. I would say practice makes perfect. Um, make sure that you have um, some practice interviews in, whether that's with a medical school colleague, whether that's with a faculty advisor. A lot of med schools and our own medical school is offering virtual interview practice with our medical students just to get them used to the concept of doing virtual interviews, just to get all of that stuff kind of under their belt and get ready for go time. I would pick a thoughtful location for your interview and kind of have some of those ground rules just very understood. Um, Make sure that you have the best technology available, that your Wi-Fi is going to hold up so that you're not cutting in and out on your one chance to meet a program director uh, at a program all around the country. So sometimes I think people find that if they go to an institution, if your medical school is open, if they have a private room that you could rent out or stay in for your interview, if you're having trouble with Wi-Fi connectivity at home, I think that would definitely be something to think about. Have good headphones or good AirPods um, or a microphone charged up so that your technology is not going to fail you because the last thing you need in the midst of kind of preparing for a stressful interview type is having technology fail you as we've all uh, dealt with, I'm sure, in the past several months on Zoom. In terms of kind of the logistics of where you're at for the interview, make sure you have a solid background. There's not a lot of distractions. Make sure your cattail is not going across the screen in front of you. Fans are not circling in the air. Lots of colorful things going on around you can be very distracting from you as the applicant and kind of take the interviewer's attention away from you. So I would try to avoid all of those distractions. Make sure you're in a super quiet environment where you're going to be in solitude. You know, no pets, no kids. I've locked myself in the bedroom today so my dog's not barking. My children aren't running around asking me questions. Uh, So make sure that you do similar things in that regard when you're preparing for your interview. And I would say dress appropriately. I'm not going to get real prescriptive with how I think you should dress. I would say dress professionally as you would want someone to see you on the interview day. I think most of the time in emergency medicine, we're pretty laid back. Uh, go with the flow type people, work hard, play hard. So I'm not suggesting that everyone's going to expect you to be in a suit and tie, but I think dressing professionally um, is definitely key. Follow your Zoom etiquette. Make sure when you're trying to talk, you're actually unmuted. And when you're not talking, you're muted to cancel out those background noises. And I would say the same rules of in-person interviews apply to virtual interviews. If you can't make an interview, let the program know respectfully ahead of time so that they can fill their interview slot uh, with someone else from their list. Because as we've highlighted already, there's going to be 
lots of people on the interview list, lots of people on waiting lists. So definitely you want to be respectful and kind and professional in that regard with canceling your interviews. I would say make sure you're on time for your interview. Lots of times when we're in our own home, we get distracted by doing something else. So do whatever it takes to stay on time because I'm guessing that programs would be on a super tight timeline in terms of trying to get people in and out of different breakout rooms and make sure that their day schedule stays on track. So I would suggest paying definite attention to staying on time. And I think we also have to get used to respecting East and West Coast times as well. Uh, You know, we typically start our standard interview day at 7 a.m. But I'm guessing that if we're interviewing someone from California, we're not wanting to get them up at four in the morning. So we are ourselves going to start our interview day a little bit later. But I'm sure that's really easy as a student to get your one o'clock start time mixed up with a real four o'clock start time if you're going from coast to coast. Um, So I think paying attention to those things and setting yourself alarms and things to keep you on track is just something that goes along with the professionalism of of virtual interviews. And I think when it comes to the interview itself, I think we want to see who you are. Portray yourself for who you truly are. You that you want to portray to the people that are interviewing you, regardless of if you're in person or not. Um, I think most of us are looking for kind, professional, upstanding applicants. They're going to be good colleagues. They're going to be hardworking. They're going to want to be great doctors. And I think the same things that you would tell an interviewer in real time are the same things that you should try to portray, um, even when you're doing it virtually. Think about what defines you as an applicant and how you best want to convey that and the time that you actually have with your interviewer because you are going to be on some tight timelines. And I know before I got into a really engaging conversation with an applicant, I might push the time a little bit. I've got my program manager knocking on the door for a couple of minutes and I'll be like, wait a second, wait a second, I'll be done soon. Um, And I don't think we're going to be able to do that uh, as easily in the Zoom world. So figure out a few things that convey your true passion and your true qualities um, to the program that you're interviewing at and, and be thoughtful in that. In preparation, I think um, reviewing websites, we've all talked about the increased social media presence and website presence, reviewing the websites of the programs that you're applying to, coming up with some thoughtful questions that may be not easily accessible on the website to focus on during the time that you have um, the program director, the faculty, or the residents in front of you will help you capitalize on the information that you're trying to get about that program that may not be easily accessible for you kind of independently outside of the interview setting. Yeah, I mean, so many things just came to mind you know, funny virtual backgrounds, maybe that's not the most professional thing. So I I appreciated the setup of the room there. I'm imagining these breakout rooms for Zoom and how they count down with that horrible 60-second clock. You have to manage the clock now as, as opposed to having the knock on the door. So much to think about. So, you know, I'm sure the students are hearing all this and, you know, it's sweaty palms and they're worried about all the things that could go wrong on their side. Maybe just tame them for a moment. What, how are virtual interviews going to disadvantage programs? Because I think the program directors are concerned about this too. Yeah, so I think there's lots of disadvantages. So outside of the lack of kind of in-person connection that we've already discussed, I think the major disadvantage, as David had referred to earlier, is that we feel obligated to interview and therefore rank more applicants because we assume that most applicants will build, will feel obligated and pressure to actually go on more interviews given that they're not going to be constrained um, by finances or time and they could in theory be interviewing on the East Coast in the morning and the West Coast in the afternoon. So I think we're going to feel that pressure along with the later start date and we, when we can actually get our eyes on applications in ERAS not till October 21st and then we're going to try to start interviews around the same time. Um, so there's a compressed time frame for reviewing. And then we're going to feel a lot of pressure in interviewing more and ranking more to make sure that we fill our list, essentially. And I think both applicants and programs are in the same boat in that regard. 
we value very much, you know, personal connections. I think the one thing that we are missing outside of this whole process in terms of not just the in-person interview on the day, but the interview that we get when we would have visiting students come to our institution and we would have the ultimate interview of them for an entire month and they would have the ultimate interview of our program for an entire month. We're missing out on all of that. So I feel like that's a big disadvantage to us as programs and getting to know um, applicants in that regard a little bit better. And then I think that, you know, one of the most important things that I always advise our students on is that there are 200 plus fantastic emergency medicine programs in this country and you're going to get a great training wherever you go and I think our specialty is very very fortunate in that regard but the one thing that I think is most important is finding that fit finding the fit for the applicant and the program and vice versa and I think that's much easier to do when you're in person and it's much harder to do in this kind of virtual suspended reality so I think you know trying to get as much face time as you potentially can to kind of overcome the disadvantage of not being able to pick up on those subjective intangibles, the interactions that you have in the hallway, the interactions that the applicants would have with their residents in the break room or on the tour or at dinner the night before when our applicants would spend, you know, two plus hours with our residents and their family members just kind of bantering and getting to know them. Um, I think that's a huge disadvantage um, for both the programs and the applicants. So the more time that you have to connect, even in a virtual sense, um, I think it's super important, um, you know, just talk to the program manager, seeing our chair walk down the hallway and integrate himself in kind of this casual conversation of the interview day. I think that's what means a lot to people and finding the place that they think they're going to fit in the best. And that's definitely one of the big disadvantages in the virtual era. But applicants are not alone. Programs are nervous and uncertain about how this process is going to go as well. But we'll all be in it together and it'll all be okay. Yeah, that is such a great message. You know, it's that we'll all be in it together because it's it's going to be an uncertain time for everybody. Um, How about one or two super special secrets about what's going to be different uh, this interview season at West Virginia. So we are considering doing some panel interviews, which we have not done before. So I think myself and uh, my associate program director are probably going to combine our time with the applicants and sort of a mini residency leadership panel interview. Uh, We will definitely be doing some breakout rooms as well and hoping to give the applicants who have some downtime between their actual face-to-face interviews with faculty some time with our residents, um, show some videos, do some virtual tours, and perhaps have some icebreakers or some a Zoom trivia or something to kind of open up those casual conversations a little bit more um, than we would typically be able to do if we were just doing standard virtual interviews, kind of meet one person, move on to the next room, meet one person, move on to the next room. So we're still going to try to convey that fun family-like atmosphere that we typically want to convey on interview day. We've also thought about having some kind of follow-up Zoom virtual second looks where we may incorporate some of our residents' families, the significant others, kids hop on, you know, want to talk about things that you would typically do at the dinner to try to replay a little bit of that. So those are some of the things that we're thinking about at WVU. Okay, so let's let's move on to our final panelists for some additional sage wisdom. Dr. Lefebvre from Wake Forest. Maybe first, just what, what are your general observations uh, so far in our discussion? I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Absolutely. You know, there have been some really great points brought up by our panelists so far, and I, and I agree with all of them. Uh, one thing I'd like to emphasize is the, um, the message to students and to each other that, uh, like you said, we're, we're going to be okay. We're going to get through this together. If we have this many smart people on the applicant side and on program side working together to this common goal, which is to have a successful match for everyone, we're going to get through the other side uh, okay. We're, we're, we're going to make it work. 
The other thing I want to mention is statistics really shouldn't change a whole lot in this COVID era. You know, the NRMP publishes uh, match data every year, and I take a look at that data, as I'm sure many people do. And, you know, every year you have a number of positions available and a number of applicants going for those positions. And while they both, both cohorts grow a little bit each year, generally the statistics are in your favor. In fact, they're overwhelmingly in your favor. We talked a little bit about how many interviews you ought to try to attend to match successfully. And if you do that, you have a very, very good chance of matching the program that you want. So I'm going to encourage students to have confidence in the math. The math really shouldn't be changing a whole lot as a result of this COVID stuff. Another point that was mentioned um, is the interview process on the day of. And, and that is certainly true for Wake Forest. And something that's weighing heavily on our minds is we really uh, shine when our applicants come to meet us in person. That's going to be tough to do virtually, but we're going to try and fi- try to find ways to do that. We'll have our pre-interview instead of a dinner. We'll have a pre-interview chat. We're thinking of a multitude of ways to make that interactive and interesting. And so we really encourage students to participate in those activities. Uh, and that's going to do two things. One, it'll be beneficial for you because you'll be able to interact and connect with them at Wake Forest or whatever program you're interviewing and hopefully find that fit that we're all looking for. And the other thing that will um, that will help you by doing so is uh, you'll become a little bit more visible to the folks on the other side of that screen. Uh, and that will help us remember you when it's time to do a rank list. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, that you're maybe not super outgoing um, and that the virtual platform is super awkward. And all of those things um, could certainly be true. And that's when I encourage students to try to take advantage of maybe post-interview communication. Now, I realize that some programs have different policies with respect to post-interview communication. I know that ours, um, we encourage it and our residents offer students their personal email, sometimes their personal phone number so they can do texts so that if they do have questions later after the interview, they can reach out and talk to those residents however they want, electronically or the phone. And I encourage students to take advantage of that because the response that you get with those post-interview communications may be an indicator of your fit for that program and what that program is all about. If the residents take time to answer your questions, if they seem well-rested, if they seem happy, not just on the day of on a computer screen, but also in those post-interview communications, that might be a program that you want to look at and it might be a good fit for you must-dos before you go out and looking for your programs and applications, submitting them to the variety of programs. I think it's important to do your research ahead of time. And Mike, as you mentioned, you know, in this COVID era with the challenges that have been a result of COVID, there's been a lot of really creative solutions. So more and more programs are developing very refreshed, new, innovative web visibility. And that can only um, really benefit the applicant who can now see a wealth of information that may not have been there last year. So I encourage you to take that that opportunity and look up those programs and the materials that they're providing online. Then be sure to mention um, and talk to your mentors, to your advisors, and to residents if you have them in your program, if, if they have them at your home institution, and ask them what you might want to look for in a program. And that might involve some self-reflection on what your career, what you want that to look like. You know, I'm a firm believer in the idea that where you attend residency will greatly impact or shape your career later and the opportunities that are available to you during your training. You know, when I came to residency at Wake Forest, um, I thought for sure I was going to be community emergency medicine. And when I started moonlighting on my own, I realized that may not provide the career satisfaction that I had hoped for. So I took a deeper dive into the medical education we had at Wake Forest and all things that were happening there and realized, well, that's that's where my career satisfaction is going to come from. So if you have interests and uh, or even if you want, you know, to become a, a solid community emergency medicine, that's fine too. But look for programs that can help you cultivate those interests, build your career, and maybe even develop new interests that you didn't know you had. And I, I know what you're thinking. I think you're thinking right now, look, man, I just need to match. You know, I I, I can't worry about 
three, four years down the road, I need next year matching. I know you're anxious. We all are. But I think you owe it to yourselves with all the hard work that you've done so far to do your research in these programs. I think that's going to be a valuable enterprise and and one that you should definitely consider doing. Remember, the math is in your favor. You're going to match. You're going to do fine. Find that program that is a good fit and will help you build your career. I mean, so much uh, great information to unpack there. You know, one point I really enjoyed was the issue of post-interview communication. We, we had an episode on this uh, very topic several years ago. And just to reinforce for students, the only match violation is for the program or the student to coerce the other and to force the other to tell you where, where they're um, ranking you. And aside from that, all other communications are, are okay. I think there's always confusion that if they talk to me or I, I try to reach out to them after the interview day, somehow I'm going to cause an NRMP violation. That's, that's just simply not true. And in this year, you know, I mean, there's just, uh, there's so much unknown. And I think the processes are probably going to evolve as the season plays itself out, right? I'm, I'm sure that you're going to have a very different interview day, perhaps in January than you would have in November, just because you're going to learn the tech differently. You're going to learn how to message things differently. So, you know, that initial conversation that's had an interview day may carry on, right? There may actually be a opening and a body and a closing to these conversations throughout interview season. And um, I think we, we have to be prepared for that. So that's, that's really a, a very, very interesting topic. Maybe I'll, we'll close the whole discussion, Cedric, just having you pull your crystal ball out and make some predictions. Tell us what's just simply unknown about this process um, so that we can all get a little comfortable with uncertainty. Absolutely. You know, the unknowns that I that I see ahead of us are, you know, will the virtual interviewing experience be an effective process for our applicants and for our programs? Will the applicants match in the places they want to? Will programs uh, secure the rosters that they are hoping for? Nobody knows the answer to that. I have confidence that, as I mentioned earlier, we have a lot of smart people working in this arena. I think we're going to be okay. I think we're going to have a phenomenal match across the board. So I'm hopeful there. How are we going to handle tech hiccups. They're going to happen, right? Um, your, your system's going to crash and you're going you're gonna to panic because your moment to talk to the program director is now gone. We don't know how programs and applicants are going to handle that. But again, I, I think we're far enough into this experience that we're, we're going to be um, you know, resolute. We're going to be calm and measured. Will some students interview at, at more programs than, than they need to and, and maybe gobble up uh, valuable interviews from other students? That's an unknown. Um, I, I hope that's not the case. But again, I'll, I'll emphasize the point that I hope that all of our students will have confidence in the statistics, in the math that precede us for decades, and it will be a successful match. No need to game the system. We're all going to be fine. And, and I think you can count on that, uh, that 12 interview number being a, a good one. And then a couple of, you know, I'd like to pivot to the knowns. Um, we know that there were some unknowns with the way we used to do things. Um, it could be very stressful. Travel, as you mentioned, travel, is your luggage going to show up? Are you going to have to interview in jeans and a t-shirt because your suitcase didn't arrive? I mean, that kind of stuff happened all the time. There were a number of variables that uh, were beyond in normal times um, that we don't have to contend with this year. So unknowns um, and variables now, and there were unknowns and variables back before this all started. And we, we did okay. I think we'll continue to do well. I wonder if after this season, we're going to find there are you know, some, some true positives to virtual interviewing. And uh, maybe this is going to be a blended process moving forward as we get used to it and we find some things that are really positive about it all. So Michelle, you know, you always have such sage observations at this time in the conversation. What 
What are you hearing? What are you thinking? How's it all going to play out? I got so many thoughts. I'm just back here just trying to hold myself from lobbing a bunch of questions your way, but I want to be respectful of all of the great advice you have. I have a couple of thoughts. All right. So starting with David's section about, you know, the crystal ball, or in my case, the crystal tea leaves that I see uh, moving into the future. And as a student, I could imagine it'd be super easy to apply to, let's say, your number that you would normally apply to plus five. Like that would be an easy thing because you're just you're just spraying across your application. But I don't know if there's actually going to be that many more interviews that they're going to do because of us moving virtual. Because there is that robust data out there. Like all of you guys mentioned, that 12 is that magic number. I can imagine some people going to 13, but I can imagine once you get all your applications out, you get 12 interviews. You go, wow, oh, that wasn't such a big deal. I got my 12. I think I'm good settling around here. That's my guess, but uh, it'd be interesting to see how this pans out. Any thoughts, David? No, no, I, I agree with that. I think that, you know, we're all used to doing, what, 10 times the number of spots that we have in our program, and that's been forever. So to switch off of that's going to be a little bit harder, doing more, a lot more interviews. That's going to be, just looking at the number of hours we have in the day and the number of faculty hours we have to interview, we don't have too many more to give. So it's going to be limited. So I agree with you. Awesome. Awesome. And then for Erica's section, there was just so much goodness in there. I'm like, oh, wait, I did. And I agree. Uh, but the one piece that I really do love is the fact that, you know, there are so many unscripted moments in a live in-person interview that you are trying to create similar moments that are unscripted, but you're really kind of scripting them, which I love. So these icebreakers, uh, these panel interviews, I love because they you can actually see how the APD and the PD actually interact with each other. Do they actually like each other? You know, all these things you can still tell. So I love that. And actually, I can share with you my favorite icebreaker question so far, which Ooh. is, what was your first ever email address and why? And that I got from a colleague, Glenn Paytow, who you know, Mike, from yeah. Hennepin. And it just comes up with the most amazing stories. You're like, why are you soccer boy 44 at Yahoo? And you're like, that's just embarrassing. And they give this whole story and, and you really get into their personality. Uh, so I love that question. You're welcome to steal that. And then the last thing I have which I think Mike touched on a little bit, which is what parts of the virtual interview are going to actually be better than what we've had before. I would love to see parts of the stay. And I don't know if you guys have thought about this, but I'd love to see what your experiences are after the fact of maybe interviews be a two-stage process and this be the first filter. And then you have a very small group come out for the in-person interview. I think from a cost-benefit analysis, the students are saving how much money on plane flights that are 500, travel, food, you know, all of that put together times however many 12, it's a lot of money, folks, a lot of money floating around that maybe doesn't need to. So I don't know if you guys have thought about that, but I would love to keep parts of this, hopefully, if it works. Yeah, you know, the average cost, depending upon specialty, ranges between $5,000 and $7,000, which is going to be in the pockets of every medical student this year. You know, there's lots of stories every year of students taking out small loans, small um, additional loans on top of of, um, what is already a hefty uh, tuition bill when you're graduating uh, just to get through interview season. And, you know, luckily that's going to all be gone. So, yeah, the the machinations of of Dr. Lin as they are, I think the future may be very techie and we we may get a lot of benefit from this this truly unknown season. I love it. Sorry, I had no good sage questions, just more sage, more like time insights. Time insights. I like that. I like yeah. that. All right. Well, panel, that was uh, a really rich conversation. I'm, I'm very uh, excited about the season and uh, really grateful for all that time and thoughtfulness. Uh, so in return, 
here's our chance because we're going to get some commercials for the residency program. So we'll start with uh, Dr. Caro and the University of Florida, Jacksonville. Tell me something I don't know about your program. Well, I think the the one that stands out is that we are the county program in the state of Florida. We've done our best to try and, and stay fresh. And so we're, we're actually moving forward, uh, not just clinical with the, the typical, you know, we want to be a really good clinical program and produce really good clinicians. But you might not know that we have two NIH-funded EM researchers at our facility that are looking into sepsis and doing really good research there. And that's really coming on strong. So really proud of that. So that would be the one, uh, if I wanted to put one thing out there that folks don't know about us, um, we're really proud of the fact we got two NIH-funded researchers. Students, this is a long and storied program and and one of the first, if not, I I don't know the history of of, uh, Florida programs, probably one of the very first. They've been around a long time doing a lot of great work in emergency medicine. And I think their maturation follows the maturation of the specialty, right? We just, we needed programs for a while with with somebody teaching the specialty. And then, you know, we've moved into some research and now federally funded research is sort of the next step for a lot of well-established programs. And I think, uh, you know, you sort of see that uh, they're changing and maturing, frankly, with the time. So uh, a great program. Students definitely check out the University of Florida. Dr. Shaver, same question. Tell me something I don't know about West Virginia University. Absolutely, Mike. So WVU is a program that's nestled in the mountains in the college of Morgantown, West Virginia. Go Mountaineers, as you mentioned earlier, um, where the tertiary care referral center for the area, tons of sick patients, level one trauma, comprehensive stroke center. Um, we focus on training residents to practice really well in any environment. So I think one of the unique aspects of our training program that maybe some people don't know is that we have a multitude of different training sites, including our primary academic site, which is Ruby Memorial. We have a community site about 35 minutes south of Morgantown, where our residents spend significant time working in the community and understanding the intricacies of community practice. And then uh, most advanced over the past uh, two to three years would be a multitude of rural opportunities that our residents have um, within our departmental umbrella. So they can go out and work at a variety of really small eight-bed emergency departments, truly kind of get that dock-in-a-box feel so that they are truly prepared to go and work in any setting that they want after they graduate. Uh, We have longitudinal pediatric experience experiences and we're getting a new state-of-the-heart children's hospital that will supposedly open up in the fall of 2021. Um, So we're very, very excited about that. And I think outside of that, our our residency leadership team really focuses on both professional development as well as personal support and development during their time with us um, in a really dynamic environment where we value resident feedback and implement a lot of changes in the program strictly based on that feedback. Um, And outside of work, you get lots of amazing outdoor scenery, lots of outdoor activities, hiking, climbing, biking, whitewater rafting, snow skiing, fun and educational experiences while at work and a great lifestyle outside of work. Yeah, students, you know, Morgantown's a great college town that has so much to offer. And, you know, I think West Virginia is one of those enviable programs around the country where they've really been the only game in town. And in, in, in their state, they are, you know, the big academic center and they're the catchment area. And that be, that means great case mix and really sick patients coming a long distance for care at West Virginia. So a wonderful place to train students, check out West Virginia University. And then the Demon Deacons, Dr. Lefebvre, tell us something we don't know about Wake Forest University. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, Michael, Michelle, and, and all my esteemed panel, you know, we're just so excited about 
residency program and our residents. You know, many people don't realize that we've uh, had a, a functioning emergency medicine residency since 74, which makes us one of the oldest programs in the country. Um, and, and we're really proud of that fact. Um, and it makes us a well-established and a, a highly functioning department in our hospital. And uh, another thing that people may not uh, appreciate is that although Winston-Salem is a medium-sized town, we are an incredibly busy, high-acuity center, uh, which makes our tr clinical training quite robust and, and a lot of fun. We get a ton of trauma, uh, both penetrating and blunt, uh, a lot of industrial accidents and, and agri agricultural accidents and things like that. We have amazing pediatric emergency medicine experience. Uh, when they graduate, they're very, very comfortable with pediatrics and pediatric trauma. Just a few other things, you know, um, a lot of us are using the heart pathway now. Uh, I'd like to point out that, uh, that we're very proud that that was, uh, you know, developed and validated at Wake Forest, you know, incorporating the heart score, which was developed elsewhere, but uh, develop, you know, incorporating that into a clinical pathway and algorithm. Um, and that's been a lot of fun. There's a lot of great fun research happening at our shop, and we'd love to get uh, our residents involved with that. And lastly, um, you know, I touched on this earlier, you know, finding programs that can help uh, build your career and, and maybe help you establish interests that you didn't even know you had. So we have a number of fellowships, including EMS, uh, Wilderness EMS which is very rare, a tactical EMS uh, fellowship, which is which is unusual and really, really neat. Ultrasound, pediatric EM, critical care, sports medicine, administration, education, a long list of fellowships that we really uh, love watching our residents get into and really helping them launch their career. It's, it's, it's a blast. So students, I have to give you the insight, you know, Cedric is on uh, Zoom video right now and he's in top to bottom, Demon Deacon Hey, there it is. He's showing me the That's Wake right, Forest yeah. logo all over his clothes right now. He's a proud alum, a proud program director, and he has a lot of reason to be. Wake Forest is a is a big system. If you've ever looked at a map of all the hospitals that they partner with and that they control, um, they're a very important health system in their part of the state. And, you know, as a medical educator, I've got to say, I've always respected the medical education researchers and, and esteemed educators coming out of Wake Forest um, for the last several decades. So students, absolutely check out Wake Forest University. Michelle, thanks for having us. Students, good luck on the virtual interview trail this year. And we look forward to hearing your comments online about what worked and what didn't work. Good luck. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Emergency Medicine Match Advice. You can view any of our episodes for free on Alium's YouTube channel, or if you prefer, listen to the episodes as Alium Podcasts on SoundCloud. Also, check out summaries of our episodes as blog posts on Alium.com and in the publication A User's Guide to the Alium EM Match Advice series in the June 2017 issue of the Western Journal of Emergency Medicine. We love to hear from our listeners. Post your questions or comments for any of our episodes on Alium.com. Thanks for joining us.